0: You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
1: every day. All star reactions and a little bit of story time here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host. Brendan, clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at LockedOnPHXSuns, and you can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Our guest today is Gina Mizell of Suns.com. She has been nice enough to come on about every month or so, but she wrote a great story over on Suns.com recently about the relationship between Chris Paul and Monty Williams. So we dive into that every angle, really uh, go pretty deep on that story and their relationship and how it's manifested this season. But of course, we had to talk All-Star to start off. The reserves announced today, Western Conference Reserves, Chris Paul in, Devin Booker not in. So we get into all of that, and I want to give you it as soon as possible. But before that, I wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it. If you enjoy it, stay tuned later on in the episode for the ultra player of the week. Gina Mizell of Suns.com joins us now to talk uh, the news of the day. The all-star reserves announced. We'll go through the Western conference list and we will dive into a great story that Gina wrote as well over on the website on the relationship between Monty Williams and Chris Paul. But we really Gina have to get to this all-star stuff off the top because Uh, It was for, I guess, maybe the third straight season. Everyone in the Valley, I think, was waiting with bated breath to see whether Devin Booker would make the team. And for the third straight season, uh, we were answered with a pretty resounding no.
0: Yeah, I mean, just weird, weird times. I mean, it's a situation where, first of all, we should say that Chris Paul did make the team. So it's not like the Suns were completely shut out. And I I was saying before we hit record that there was a part of me that thought with the coaches' vote that maybe like you hear this with like the Oscars and stuff sometimes that maybe that Devin Booker and Chris Paul would split the vote that some coaches would go for Chris, that some coaches would go for Booker and
1: two actors in the same movie, both nominated or something.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And especially because they're both backcourt players, Um, whereas, you know, you see some of the other teams where like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert both make it or, um, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I guess, technically they're both front court players, but we know that LeBron's also a point guard, but you, you get what I'm saying where it's like the two starting guards, but, um, no, I was, I was surprised that it shook out that way, but also maybe not so surprised because when you think about how coaches vote. Um, I mean, Chris Paul is such a obviously known commodity in this league at this point. He's had a historic Hall of Fame career, just ma- passed another major milestone over the weekend with passing Oscar Robertson on the all times assist list. And and maybe like I think if you're looking at this team that some coaches would say, OK, well, Chris Paul is the reason why the Suns have taken the jump this year and are now a Western Conference, you know, top four seed at this point. But I also think that that really discounts what Devin Booker has done and the, the season he's having, and particularly the, the last few weeks that he's had with being named Western Conference Player of the Week last week. And also, when you look at the amount of teams that have more than one All Star. Um, even though, like I said, some of them are maybe different positions. I mean, you expect the, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Jazz um, to maybe be in that category, which they are. But then when you look at teams like the Celtics or, you know, I mean, the Nets, yes, but like Kyrie's been hurt a lot of the year. And like, it's just, yeah. it doesn't make very much, why can't the Suns also have two all-stars? I think that was kind of like, it's it's very strange, but again, it'll be really interesting I would love to know, just I'd love to get every coach's head to see their voting um, justification or their voting philosophy, but that's kind of just how it it shook out today.
1: Yeah. To go through it quickly, as you said, Gina, the coaches vote for the reserves. So direct your frustrations toward them, I suppose, but it's (laughs) Damian Lillard joining Chris Paul in the guard spot and Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert and Zion Williamson in the front court. And then Donovan Mitchell and Paul George as the wild cards. So, uh, I'm. I think most sort of just in in the in to whatever degree I kind of care. I think it's mostly resulting from having followed again this story for three years and doing (laughs) this the past now three All Star games and hearing how the narrative has. I don't want to say shifted because I don't really what's sort of even more frustrating or weird about this is there really aren't a lot of people making the case against Booker. And so I don't, I guess, feel like the narrative necessarily changed on him, but for a while it was, you know, he is not on a winning team. The things he does on the court aren't really as meaningful because, They're not contributing to winning. Are they real? Are they empty? That sort of thing. And for him to finally be on a good to potentially pretty interesting contending team and not get it is just seems a little bit backwards. And I'm sure the way he's feeling right now is a little bit puzzled and and mad about that as well. So that's really what I've, I had been dreading that it might come to this because it wasn't going to make sense. I think anyone who saw this coming sort of would have predicted that whoever was going to make it. And and I kind of forget the East to a certain degree, because there are just not as many uh, good teams in my opinion, even like people have said the very top is better. And it's like, I suppose, you know, in the past there was maybe one, you know, the Cavs for a while was just them and nobody else really. But Uh, I guess that's true but still the the sheer sort of depth of talent is is just not the same and so I'm willing to give a pass on like Boston like those guys I don't know I kind of feel like they both deserve it and then you get to the bottom and it becomes pretty clear that Devin Booker would easily make it over many of the guys who made it there but what puzzled me is even below that like you look and Rudy Gobert and and he's being the him being the best player on the Jazz, I get. Damian Lillard should have been a starter in my opinion, I get. Yes. Anthony Davis, yes, he's missed some games lately, but it would be very silly to not put Anthony Davis into the All-Star game, but uh, and Paul George has had a great start to the season. He's missed some games as well, but probably not too much to be disqualifying. It's the other two guys, and I know people have thought of Donovan Mitchell as a lock, but uh, he's shooting worse than 45% from the field. Like you could make the argument he made it in because he got hot from three for a half of a season. Like we'll see where the three-point shooting is to close this thing out. But he's at about 40%, which is very uncharacteristic from him for from deep and is taking almost 10 a game. And so if he gets closer to his normal there and, and just looks kind of like the same guy, I think people might regret that one. And and Zion Williamson, I get, like, you could go the conspiracy angle on this and, oh, the NBA wants him in there and, yeah. you know, whatever. But he only started, like, giving effort on defense, like, three weeks ago, if you watch those guys play. And right. uh, th- the team is substantially worse than the Suns. Like, I-, I would be fine with the Suns getting two All-Stars before the Pelicans even think about getting one. It, that That stuff is just where I start to get confused by how the coaches thought about this.
0: Right. Well, and so yeah, I mean the argument against Zion should be the same argument that's been against Booker, which I again, I totally I'm taking into account. Obviously, Zion coming into the league was a much bigger name, number 1 pick, you know, superstar athlete, all that stuff and and is an iconic figure, I would say, already in today's game. So, it's not a direct comparison, but if you want to just make the pure argument of you need to be on a good team to be an all-star, then that should cancel Zion out. And then the opposite is true with Donovan Mitchell, where I was saying before, where it's like, okay, well, of course the jazz should have two all-stars because they're the top team in the West and have, you know, I do, they currently have the best record in the NBA. I think they still do. Um, yeah. And, and so, so, that's, that's like, well, of course they should have two. So how far does that go down the totem pole? Is it like, well, the top four teams in each conference should have two all-stars. Well, that's not really the case because, you know, Chris Middleton doesn't make it from Milwaukee and you can start nitpicking, but it's these weird kind of conventional wisdoms that we have that there always like seems to it mostly falls into place, but then there's always one or two outliers that you're like, wait, why is this not working the way that it's supposed to work or whatnot? So no, sure. I think your um I think your arguments are are completely valid. And granted, we should also say too that Anthony Davis is injured he's I can't imagine he's going to play uh in the game on March 7th and so from what I understand uh Booker would be eligible to be an injury replacement even though he's not a front court player from everything that I've seen
1: I did some digging there too and I couldn't see anything that said he wouldn't either I think you're right so
0: so I mean he, he I think there is a great chance that he you know, sneaks in again, but I'm sure he's going to be frankly uh, ticked off that he has to be an injury yeah. replacement again. It sort of reminds me of when, you know, Dame Lillard was first coming into his own and, and first becoming the player that he was. And like, I, th- I think he like, made the one all-star team as an injury replacement then didn't make it the next year and then that's what launched his you know just being coming a perennial all-star and a no-brainer and and i agree with you he should have been a starter this year over Luca. although that's tough when luca has got you know just such an immense fan base and, and all of that yeah, so the fan
1: absolutely. vote <laughs> yeah we've seen the, the the international guys tend to have that in their favor.
0: totally and that's a completely understandable and again the fans want to see who they want to see in the game but um. yeah, it's just, it's, it's very puzzling. And I mean, shoot, LeBron came out and said that Devin Booker is the least respected player in the league, which are some pretty strong words from um the greatest player of this generation. So I don't know, man, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Just that it, this is the way that it's shaking out again. But like I said, we, we know how competitive Devin Booker is. And so I would not be shocked if this just, keeps igniting a a fire in him and he comes out and like torches the earth for the rest of the season. (laughs) So if you're a Suns fan, that's probably good news. Um, But certainly tonight, I think it just, it's puzzling. It's disappointing. It's just, um, yeah it's just it's strange how like you said this narrative continues even when apparently the one thing that was missing has finally not just like sort of locked into place but like completely locked into place yeah, they're not 500 <laughs> they're no, a top 12 four 12 seed of, yeah they've won 12 out of their last 14 games um it just again maybe only the coaches watched the Brooklyn game the other night which was obviously a very poor um fourth quarter showing from this team but well, that's
1: it, a great point that you that you make and that was what I wanted to close this out with because I I agree with you that I think Davis will be uh out I mean I think that's pretty clear um and I think it's to me a no-brainer that Booker would be in the driver's seat to replace him Mike Conley DeMar DeRozan maybe some of the other guys I don't think they have cases over Booker um but you know maybe I I would say Conley more so than than DeRozan I think we've seen DeRozan's agent playing a little bit of hardball in the (laughs) aftermath more so than DeRozan actually having a case but uh I think that's all probably how it will play out, but I think what it kind of maybe highlights is that uh, we tend to give the coaches a lot of credit and assume that what they look for in this is who contributes to winning at the highest level and kind of, you know, does the, the things that winning players do. And I think that might be giving them too much credit in some ways. Like, I think that there are some coaches who don't care. I think there are some coaches who um, probably go out of their way to sort of give their colleagues in the coaching ranks some some uh, pride by – I think coaches tend to want to vote for guys who are maybe underappreciated. Like, you see Vucevic – And Julius Randle in the East, Zach Levine, maybe another example of that where they're more willing to do that than to do maybe a Chris Middleton, who's like the second best sort of close second on a underperforming team. But Chris Middleton's clearly had a better season, I think, than some of these other guys. He's just, you know, not the best player on his team and the team has underperformed. And so I think we maybe... Kind of paint with broad strokes with the coaches. And I think there's some guys who just vote for the in the case and not to take away from chris Paul. but I, I I felt as if Paul would have the upper hand here, despite what I think maybe some folks thought because there's a very easy narrative to write for yourself when you're maybe doing these votes or talking about the league. We've seen it in the in the national sort of conversation about the suns is, you know, Oh, you know, and they brought Chris Paul in and look how things have changed. And it's like, yeah, to a certain extent, that's true. We're going to get into that in the second and third segments of the show based on your story. But obviously we know how much Devin Booker still means. And so I think, uh, like as much as it might suck as a way to explain this, like, I think there are coaches who just don't do as much homework, maybe as, as they can, or, uh, have a, a different way of looking at things than even fans or, or thoughtful sort of, media people who don't get to vote on the reserves might. So uh, it, it all kind of, um, it's bound to frustrate somebody. Like if, if Booker made it, we'd have Pelicans fans mad. So it's not to say that it's just a Suns sort of thing here, but it, it is uh, it is always fun to kind of look through and, and wonder. And I guess it makes it more fun than, than frustrating when there are injured players who, who Booker can replace because we are going to probably see him in there, just not the way we expected.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's always going to be snubs, as as we say, and like this is why Selection Sunday is fun in, in college basketball for March Madness, because there's always a team that gets left out. Like there's always a, there's always someone who's just on on the outside looking in and just unfortunately for Devin Booker, it's been him the last couple of years but yeah I do think there's a great chance he will wind up there regardless but certainly I think he's still probably thinking what do I got to do to deserve some respect and I got to give a shout out to our colleague Kellen Olson at Arizona Sports for his tweet earlier today where he was like Devin Booker needs to work on you know Fixing world hunger and curing cancer and you yeah. know finding another COVID vaccine and like just all these like funny things that's like that's the only way Devin Booker is going to get voted into this exactly. this game is yeah, yeah. I, and what, you know, what's up
1: with cancer military. book
0: <laughs> exactly but yeah it's it's very strange but um, like I said I think there's a great chance he will wind up there regardless.
1: All right, we will get into Gina's story on the Monty Williams-Chris Paul relationship and how it's evolved and improved and changed over the years. But before that, let's take a quick break. Excited to tell you about our new friends at Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra brings you the Ultra Player of the Week. And despite his return to the bench after a momentary pause with the Brooklyn Nets game, this week's player is Jay Crowder who has been just such a joy to get to watch every single day. Only shooting 39% from the field, but we know most of his shots come from three. He's at 36%, one of the better years of his career from deep. And just making a massive impact on winning every single night. He's near a career high in assists, picking up where he left off. With Miami. You see the uh the the Milwaukee game a little while ago. He had 14 rebounds. He just fills up the stat sheet in such a unique way and and is perfectly fine doing the dirty work. I think he's cleaned up his shot selection a bit from where it was, had 20 points this week against the Pelicans on six of eight three-point shooting. He is good for pretty much a steal or two every single night, and some of those rebounding games recently have just been a treat. He does what it takes. He does uh, all of the little things that a role player needs to do to stay on the floor and does it without needing to touch the ball, without needing to score. There's not much better than that. Jay Crowder plays with a passion that is contagious and it's a joy that I think uh, we all feel when we watch him, right? It's just uh, those guys that compete and love to get out there and and just get that enjoyment out of it. It's such a rare thing. It's like PJ Tucker or Marcus Smart. Jay Crowder is on that list, and we have seen it on full display this week. It makes you happy, just like Michelob Ultra does. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Remember, and Michelob Ultra gets you both of those: two point six carbs, ninety five calories. Joy creates success, and we know that enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game, and Jay Crowder shows that better than anyone grab a Michelob Ultra today okay back here with Gina myself sons.com first guys get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new locked on today podcast Peter Pekowski hosts the show a daily sports show getting you all the stories scores and analysis you need in less than 20 minutes every single day subscribe to locked on today wherever you listen to podcasts all right. The story is called Big Easy Bond. It tells sort of the history of the relationship between Chris Paul and Monty Williams. But what I think made it uh, even more fascinating to me, Gina, was um, what I think a lot of us started to realize when the rumors happened and then the trade was pulled off, which is that the connections don't end there. So yeah, kind of tell me how you went about crafting this story and the perspectives that you got that were not just uh, the coach and the player here.
0: Yeah, well, this was a really fun story to report. And it's one, I think I told you this when we talked about doing this podcast that I've been wanting to write since the trade happened just because of all those connections and just, you know, with timing and and people's availability and all of the life stuff that gets in the way um, there just wasn't quite a right time for it. And then I'm like, well, this has to happen on the last trip to new Orleans because that's like a natural peg, but yeah, it was really fun to get a chance to, Um, Talked to guys like Jeff Bauer, who's, of course, now the senior VP of basketball operations here in Phoenix, but was the director of player personnel and then became the general manager during Chris's early years in New Orleans and Oklahoma City when they relocated there temporarily. Um, Willie Green, who is an assistant coach on the Suns staff, he was a teammate of Chris Paul's in New Orleans, and they developed a relationship then that now they're basically like brothers Um, Randy Ayers, who's an assistant on the Sun staff, was also on Monty's staff back in New Orleans. So, no, it really just I mean, it's fun when you see those connections come to fruition. And of course, it's really fun to have guys kind of go back and reminisce and talk about Chris back then and just, you know, where everybody sort of was um, from a career standpoint. But really what I think it did for me, and I even realized this more in reporting the story was just how. All of that sort of gave the organization confidence to pursue this trade and pull the trigger on the trade, which was, you know, arguably the the biggest blockbuster move of the offseason, just because there was that trust there and there was that history there. And there was that understanding of that sort of intangible quality of, you know, leadership, being a floor general, all those, you know, cliches that we want to throw out. But really, he comes in and he does transform Organizations, and so that's something that we've definitely seen happen with this team since Chris Paul has been on it, but I think just even Jeff Bauer talking about him having that sort of presence when he went and visited Wake Forest for a week and and saw him before the draft and things like that was really kind of cool to to remember what a young Chris Paul was like and see that through those guys' eyes and then to see it now playing out a decade later, 15 years later in in some cases was really cool and then of course Monty is a big part of that as well but as you mentioned, it was it was fun to get a chance to talk to some guys who, you know, knew him in in other capacities or knew him even before um, Monty became the head coach in new Orleans.
1: Yeah. I always love like the retrospective sort of recruiting or draft stories just in yeah. general. Like it's always interesting to me to hear from people who are around then and have watched the career of somebody as great as Paul or, or whoever it is. And then, to kind of hear what things did did kind of translate or pan out the way that were expected and then often oftentimes what ended up being different than than the players or the the people around those players uh, expected back then. And there there was a lot of that in this story. I feel like um, what did you learn about Chris Paul's leadership style? because I think that was. Maybe if if and it's probably too early to, to say one way or the other, you know, where we have really haven't seen the big moments this season, you know, assuming there is playoff games and everything. But I think that was one sort of concern among fans and, and people that had followed Chris that he can be harsh and there there is, you know, there this is a young team and there's a, a certain degree of risk there of, of bringing him in. But what did you learn about that? And obviously, so far, it's really been a positive for this group.
0: Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing that was reinforced was that it's been there from the get-go. Um, and and you hear that when, like I said before, that when Jeff Bauer talks about going to Wake Forest and just seeing the impact on his teammates as, you know, a young college kid. Um, and yeah, you're right. It is fun to hear guys talk about, like, he, he was... Um, Jeff was close with... Wake Forest head coach and assistant. And he's like, yeah, I kept hearing about this point guard that's coming in, like just this random person. It's like, oh yeah, it turned out to be Chris Ball. Um, but, but back to his leadership, um, you know, so you hear that from, from Jeff. And then also I talked to Jarrett Jack, who was on, um, those new Orleans teams as well. And obviously he's not in Phoenix, but still has great perspective. And he's known Chris since they were 11 years old or since Jarrett was 11 years old. And he said that that's how Chris is always been even dating back to like their young playing days in AAU or, or high school or, or college, and obviously through his NBA career. And I think what what most people have said that sort of talk about his leadership just overall in the conversations and and times that I've heard people speaking about Chris is that you just have to understand where it's coming from. And it can be direct. It can be constant. Um, it can be just, he's always, you know, got something on his mind and wants to express it and wants to help people along. And, and yeah, some people might take that the wrong way and think that it's overbearing, but I think the guys on this team, the Suns team, especially some of the younger players, you know, you think about a guy like Devin Booker and his just intense competitive energy. And you think about someone like Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson, two guys that are just very steady and very, you know, cerebral and, and you can tell really want to learn. It's been a great fit. And then I think, maybe the most pleasant surprise for me has been how well DeAndre Ayton has seemed to, um, you know, take to Chris and want to be, want to learn from him. And that's not a knock on DeAndre at all. I'm just, it's like, you can, when he talks about Chris Paul, he's like even overly like, Oh my gosh, I get to learn from Chris Paul. This is amazing. And, and he's teaching me so much. And 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 Chris
1: is not going easy on him by any means. I mean, at least once a game he's on him.
0: and, and, you know, again, we we can this is a whole separate podcast as far as DeAndre's personality and um, his quotes over the years and how maybe some fans have reacted to those. But you can tell that it's a genuine like, wow, I get to learn from Chris Paul and I'm, you know, soaking this up. And so obviously we're, you know, three months into this relationship or this marriage between the sons and Chris and, and, and so we'll see how things are at the end of the season and and moving forward with him on this team. But I mean, to me, there's no reason to believe that it would, like sour or be any different I think that this team recognizes like hey this is a guy who can lead and this is a guy who's helping us win way more games than we ever have in the last few years so um, overall like I said it's been kind of a a perfect match just because of um, the the relationships that Chris had from the the past and how those maybe um, informed the decision making of the organization and thinking that he was the right choice to sort of catapult this team forward.
1: All right, let's take another quick break here because I want to get I want to dive into what I think was the most uh, illuminating quote in this entire story. But uh, let's do that on the other side of this. I've been enjoying my coconut brownie chunk built Bars all week. Cannot recommend them, them highly enough. They really, really prove that Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever and tastes just like a candy bar. The, I literally had to look at the ingredients list when I had the one that I had this morning after a workout and make sure that the nutritional label was not deceiving me because the thing did not taste like it had a single ounce of anything but candy in it. And it, it's completely not that. It's full of protein, low calorie, low sugar, just like every single built Bar. Perfect for any diet, Or just the health-conscious person if you like to make sure you're putting the right kind of stuff in your body. But if you're trying to lose or maintain weight, perfect for you as well. It's just that small snack, that pick-me-up that you need to get you through the day. To try out the coconut brownie chunk or any of their other delicious flavors such as peanut butter brownie or carrot cake. Go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on at checkout and get 20% off your next order. Again, use the promo code locked on at checkout for 20% off at builtbar.com. So, you were talking, Gina, on uh, about the leadership style of Paul and just the uh, way that it has been successful. In large part, I think, because the other players who are already here and even an addition like Jay Crowder, the through line, the kind of thread that they all shared is that I feel like they all are genuinely committed to winning. And so the idea of Paul coming in, what makes it easier to stomach, I think when you have a player like that sort of on you as much as we see him being, and, and they've said he is, is that, you know, it's toward the same purpose that you're striving toward. And it might be different than, than you've had in the past or, you know, uh, a little bit maybe more intense than you might even want some days, but sure. it's it's obvious that it's there uh, with the same sort of passion and intensity and it clearly gets backed up with his own work and his own performance and I think that's what's made it uh, successful here and, and successful like not to get too off topic, but has been successful everywhere he's ever gone. Like he has had this perception that has also come with winning all the time. So it it is kind of silly how (laughs) the (laughs) negative, yeah, it works, right? The negative thing is a little bit funny to me sometimes. Um, But all that said, what I was thinking about reading your story is that I almost feel like Monty, the timing of this, where Monty was able to come in and and sort of lay the the foundation for demanding that win winning oriented mindset in the organization prior to Paul arriving I feel like was humongous I don't think if they yeah. both came in together I think that might have been too much you know and so that really seems to be a big part of why it has worked is that that the money factor came first and he's a little bit maybe uh more easy to digest on for players and then chris is is maybe sort of the bad cop not to you know put too fine a point on it but i think that is a little bit of what we're seeing there and that brings me to the quote which is uh that chris paul said if i were a head coach as far as preparation and everything i would be monty and that really struck me because they're very different people why do you think chris paul feels that way
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And that quote actually came from, I believe his first media availability right after the trade. Um, If I'm organizing my notes back in my head correctly. I
1: had forgotten he said that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, again, fun to go back through all that stuff from a couple of months ago. And And no, I think there's just a great deal of respect for Monty as a play caller, um, you know, out of timeouts, you know, adjustments, those types of things. And for his preparedness, because I also I asked this didn't make it into the story, but I asked Jarrett Jack the same question. And I was like, how would you describe Monty as a coach? And he just said the one word I would use is prepared. So that attention to detail was, was very apparent and, and it's clearly apparent, you know, for, for guys that are currently playing for him and and have played for him in the past. So no, I mean, again, Chris Paul has played for some really well-respected coaches. When you look at, you know, Doc Rivers and Mike D'Antoni and, and, you know, even Billy Donovan, like the, it's, it's not like he's played for bad teams and bad coaches. So the fact that he has that much reverence for Monty, especially considering that that they only played together or were only, um, you know, on the same team together for one season, I think speaks a lot about Monty. And, you know, again, it was really interesting to kind of, here it's been interesting this whole season to hear Monty kind of because obviously he gets asked about his history with Chris quite a lot, but he's always so like time. self self deprecating and self critical. Of he's like, well, I I didn't do enough to unleash him. I took the paintbrush out of his hand. I wasn't a good enough coach. Like and, and so like you said, I think this reunion is sort of happening at the right time for several reasons because like Monty has learned from his first time being a head coach and you can just see um, that he hands stuff over to Chris at certain times or just there is that inherent trust and, and maybe if they had spent Five or six years or 10 years together in New Orleans, like, I don't know if the dynamic would have been the same or maybe it would have grown into that. But just this sort of like having a sort of sprinkling of their relationship for one season, you know, obviously keeping um, respect for each other as both of them continued throughout their careers. And now reuniting here a decade later, um, you can just sort of see Monty even being like, okay, I need to change what I, not that I need to change how I was before, but like I need to also make sure that I have evolved and that I'm practicing what I said I wanted to do in November when Chris returned return to this relationship. So that's been really cool to kind of uh, monitor this season because you can literally see, see it happen, whether it's on the sideline, when you hear them talk about the conversations that they have, again, the game winning play that they ran in Dallas a couple years ago, or a couple weeks ago was a play that Chris had run in LA with the Clippers that Monty basically stole and said, run this to set up Devin Booker for a game winning three. So like you can see it all happening. And so there's definitely a symbiotic relationship between Chris and between Monty that, you know, you're definitely seeing play out. And again, I think it all goes back to the, the history that they have and sort of bringing it all full circle.
1: Well, one thing I think Monty is very hard on himself. And I think, <laughs> you know, he talked a lot about it even last year. And I think last year, it wasn't so much about those early years as even it was the late years. And I remember he told us the anecdote about, Uh, the uh, allowing players or not allowing players to wear casual clothing
0: around the facility
1: and those little things where you could tell he came to his second act as a head coach. um, And the word that I've used all season is with the, or or his whole time here has been humility. And I think that that's been um, it's a different path. We know Monty's the tragedy and, and everything and, Um, sort of hesitancy that marked his return to head coaching. And for Paul, it's been a lot of success, but also, you know, some very, very infamous uh, failures. And so both of these guys, I think, got to this point in Phoenix, and it's been so fascinating to watch it for both of them, where I think that they have had no choice but to be a little bit introspective and try to think about what, what they want Of this part of their careers. And so it brought me back to um, something I've thought about a lot that I don't even feel like I have a great answer for, uh, despite, you know, trying to, for most of the time Monty's been here, which is he could have coached the Lakers, you know, and I think it's pretty obvious he could have had that job should he have wanted it. And then you also hear, like, I was listening to, uh, or I saw a report from, Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons, they did their podcast this weekend, and they were talking about Chris Paul um, had looked into when he was sort of gauging the market with his agents this fall uh, a return to the Clippers, and, and I, I thought he could have been a good fit in Milwaukee or Philadelphia or yeah. any of these contending teams. And I don't, you know, his 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 contract makes some of that a little bit difficult. So I'm not saying that he could have gone to any of those. I don't know, but um, they both chose this to some degree. And that's just so interesting to me. And I wonder what make, what you sort of make of it and what you think they are both sort of hoping for from this experiment, I guess, so to speak.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Like all of those great point. No, I remember when the Lakers won the championship, I was watching the game with my mom and I was like, mom, you know, who the Lakers wanted to hire as their head coach. And she's like, who? And I'm like, Monty and she's like what you know just you almost forget that that's a, that that's like a thing that happened that yeah I think he definitely could have had that job if he wanted it and he chose to come to the Suns and obviously I don't think you ever with Monty coming here you couldn't have foreseen that then they would get Chris Paul a year later. But I think it does go, that goes back to relationships, obviously with, with him and James Jones. And it's so interesting too, with him that it was only one year that they were together in Portland, just like it was only one year that he was with Chris. But I think you, you know, and I think we've all had these experiences in our lives, just as human beings that even some of the people, whether it's that you work with, that you encounter, that you just have a relationship with in some way, like there, I think we all have those people that even if you weren't, you know, friends or coworkers or whatever, like in the same place for a super long time, like there's people that you connect with that you're like, wow, we are very on the same page. We're very, um, like, or, or we complement each other well, or we help each other grow. And I think that like all of that is sort of what has kind of consp- not conspired, but it's all come together with, with the sons, as far as like a GM and a coach that, you know, had a connection, a coach and a point guard that had a connection and the right situation where it was like a young hungry team that had an impressive performance in Orlando that you could tell there was something building and Chris Paul in addition to, to, you know, Jay Crowder and the other guys that they've signed as, as great role players has sort of been that, at piece. And it's all sort of just clicked together, but yeah, I just, I think there was a lot of trust and a lot of sort of, um, just, just, yeah, yeah. Trust is the right word or just like, just a, not even just a hope, but just a, a belief that like, this is the partnerships or these are the the relationships that are going to all mesh together correctly to build this team into what it's become. So, yeah, I mean, with, with Chris specifically, it's like, I mean, it's been obviously really cool to get a chance to, you know, chat with him every so often, but I so wish that we could all see each other in person right now, because I feel like we would learn a lot more even about him and what makes him tick and hit the relationships with guys, because we're just not at the facility and we're not getting
1: to see what he does rather than always hearing about it. it.
0: Yeah. Or even like, see, like obviously we see him and Monty interacting on the sideline and on the court, but like, you just don't get to see those side conversations and those things that you see at practice and shoot arounds and after games and in the locker room. And so, yeah, it's hard for me to answer that question directly as well but I think it is just an example of people that you cross paths with at certain points in your career and maybe that initial time it was for a short period but sometimes life is funny and it all comes back around and those are all guys that sort of all have come together now in Phoenix and are are you know obviously really contributing to where this team is at right now.
1: Yeah you're, you're definitely right that uh, it's hard to know entirely but If I were to put myself in Chris Paul's head a little bit, I I just am so, part of it is a bigger picture thing just about the NBA and the way that some of these great players get, and, you know, they choose it to a certain degree, but get saddled with contracts that make their last act difficult. You know, I think we saw that with Carmelo Anthony as as an example. And we see it all around the league, and Paul is, is sort of a victim of that, and It's interesting to see how he's approached this because he's almost prevented from joining a great team because of that, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. I mean, Houston fell apart and and, uh, we know how that played out, but he isn't really able to go to uh, very easily to go to, you know, join the next super team. And so to see that he chose uh, these bonds to return to some of these bonds that he forged early in his career and that he um wanted to explore again or thought would help make him successful or make him enjoy the season or maybe the two that he spends here, maybe more, is just really interesting. And it's um maybe it's unfortunate that that he had to be put into that position to leave it a Houston team that was so good and to be this guy thought of as a bad trade candidate, which I think has been very much proven wrong over the past yeah. two seasons but heading into that That's thunder right, it's
0: season two years right <laughs>
1: yeah heading into that thunder season though like people thought that and so it's just yeah it's really interesting um and I guess obviously we're all excited to kind of see what comes of it hopefully we can hopefully we can get a few of those moments physically watching some of this stuff before the season is over because I agree it's uh just as a um, just as a story to continue to keep up with. I'm just really interested in it. But your story did a great job of of telling the part of it that we've seen so far.
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, like I said, it was really fun to report and write. And um, yeah, I, I just, I hope it kind of sheds some light on why this team was built the way it was or why this all came together the way that it did. And and yeah, like you said, when the rumors and the trade happened, I was just like, well, of course, this is how it you know wound up. I almost felt silly for not thinking of it even sooner or thinking that it was realistic. So it was kind of fun to dive back into, to all of that.
1: All right. You can follow her on Twitter at Gina Mizell. You can read her work at suns.com. Thank you as always for coming on the pod, Gina.
0: No problem, Brendan. Thank you.